do it. I wasn't on purposely doing it, but I was doing it. I was like, you need to go repent so God will forgive you. You need to go make these changes so God will forgive you. And that's what I taught. And that's just kind of what I know. It's just a small example just to give you what's happening in Colossae. People were bringing their religious backgrounds and making it a part of the church. And so it got to a point where it was so concerning that some of the disciples went to Paul and they said, hey, I think we're kind of straying from Jesus. In the ancient Near East, in the ancient Near East religions, um, the gods made mankind to serve the gods. So, and their idea was that these gods made us to labor and work for them. And in return, if you, were, if you did enough things for them, they would bless you. And that was kind of the relationship. They made you to take care of the earth, take care of creation. And then maybe if, you, if you're doing a good job, I'll take care of you and I'll answer a few of your prayers. That was kind of the thinking. And here comes a new teaching about Jesus, who they say was God, who became man and lived among the people. That was a new teaching. That's never been, you know, a reality. It's very strange. And because of that, a lot of the background of some of these disciples were Greek. And their philosophy and their understanding of their religion was, hey, if you want to get to the greatest God in heaven. Because in the ancient Near East, there was a great God. And then he would have like a lesser God who would kind of run things. The great God was called El, for example. And the lesser God was called Baal. And you see him in the Bible a lot. Baal this, Baal that. You know, Mount Carmel, Elijah. He was a lesser God, but he was in kind of charge of everything. And that's kind of how they viewed Jesus. Jesus was just a lesser God of a greater God. So they're saying, well, we don't want Jesus because we want to get to the greater God. We want to get to that God. And so part of the Greek religion was that spiritual angels would take you to God depending on how pure you were, whether you were strict enough. You had to do all these things in order for the the spirit of the angels to take you to see God. And that was kind of the philosophy of the Greeks. And that started going into the church. And I know it sounds super, super weird, but that was actually what was happening. And part of that belief was that this great God only values the spiritual side of the life, the spiritual world. And us humans, we're on the physical side. We're on the flesh side, the material side. And the material side will never get you to see the great God, El. Because flesh is evil. It's dark. It's worldly. It's sinful. It's tragic. It's terrible. So if this God came in the flesh, something must be wrong. Because the great God would never value the flesh because it's so bad and corrupt. So the only way to get to God was through the spiritual side. Of, and you had to become spiritually enlightened with knowledge. And these men started popping up in church going, hey, I'll show you how to get there. I'll show you what to do. And I'll teach you things because I've been talking to angels and I'll pass on what they're telling me on how to get to heaven. That is what was happening in Colossae. Does that make sense? It's weird, huh? I know you're thinking, that's really strange. But we have a lot of weird stuff going on in our day, too. We have a lot of strange religion 
in our day that kind of creeps into the church. So just to give you a little story, there was a guy named Epaphras. He goes to Ephesus, which is over here. He, uh, right around, where is it? Right over there, there. And he goes back to Colossae, his Ephesus is right there. And he meets Paul, becomes a disciple, and he goes back to Colossae, and he starts and to engage the people that he knows. Could have been his cousin, could have been his brother, could have been his mom, but he has a household. He has a household, and he converts one of his friends. His name is Philemon. He's in the Bible. And one of Philemon's slaves happens to go to Ephesus, and he happens to become a disciple. And Paul sends, sends the letter back with the slave back to Colossae. He has two letters. He has Philemon for individual, and he has the letter to Colossians to, to combat the dangerous and exciting teaching that is going on in church. And you, you, and you and I both know in church, when a group of people start talking about something exciting, it get, gets exciting. And that can lead us astray. So that's kind of the background of, of Colossae. Just to give you, just to give you uh, just a little bit of information, it's, it's the early form of Gnosticism, which, be, which is a very, very difficult um, part of the early uh, churches in the first two, two, two or three centuries. The church divided a lot because they had, a, they had a hard time accepting that Jesus was God and human. And that was a big deal for many, many years. And so that was some of the practices. They worshiped angels. There was teachers. There was a strong, you know, be strict with yourself. Rules, again, to get to the, to get to the great God. You have to follow all these different rules. And you had to obey certain calendars and the moon and everything else to get there. You had to do it right. And I'll show you the way. That's kind of what was happening in Colossae. Here's one of, the, one of the early backgrounds of it, that God was spirit and he was good and matter and the world was hopelessly evil. You know, we, we struggle with that. Why do good things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? You know, a lesser divinity, a lesser God was created and he's kind of in charge, but he made him, it was a mistake and he has now imprisoned us to and, and trapped us and he's ruling and, and we have to get past him and we have to get to God. So this is why they struggled with Jesus. Because Jesus kept saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. They're like, but you're a human. That's not how you get to God. The spiritual side gets to God. And here's this human guy saying, I am God. And that's what was troubling for the disciples in Colossae. And so, I want to I move your attention to Jesus. Paul is a master rabbi of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament has passages that when you read it, there are two figures in parts of the Old Testament that are equal in power and authority. Along with the Spirit of God, you begin to, get, you begin to see other figures in the Bible. The New Testament saw these two figures and they saw the Spirit of God and they developed what we would know as the Trinity. It's not an Old Testament word. It's not even a New Testament word. It's the word that the early church fathers made. And this Trinity, which I'm going to share a passage, the Old Testament Jewish rabbis noticed that there were two figures in the Old Testament that kept appearing, and they were interchangeable. And they were very like, what is going on? There are two different people up there that are equal in power. And so in the Hebrew Bible... This was stunning because the Christians grabbed onto that idea and argued that one of the figures was Jesus. 
And I'm going to show you why I thought that. When Jesus arrived on earth through the birth of a woman and taught that he and the Father are one and the same, some people balked at that. Some people just could not believe that Jesus and God were one and the same. Different function, yet one and the same. The New Testament calls these two Father and Son, yet one. So the question is, is Jesus human or is he God? The answer is yes. And this was Colossae. This was what Paul wanted to challenge because he wanted to make it very clear who Jesus was. So point number one is seeing Jesus is seeing God. In verse 15, we're going to pick up where we left off last time. It says the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You know, I'm really surprised these days how little we invoke the name of Jesus even in our conversations and in our life. I, I find it surprising. I always say God. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm just confessing how little I use that word Jesus. And Paul is writing something very profound. The reason why he's writing the sun is the image. He's saying the sun is a photograph of the invisible God. The Gnostics began with the idea that the earth and everything in it was totally evil and the spiritual realm was totally good. And so the Gnostics were, were trying to say, well, Jesus must have been a created being because he was born a human. So he couldn't be the great God. And Paul's saying he is the direct image. And the word the Greek uses is if, he, is if he would impress upon a coin the image of the emperor, it would be the image. It's the exact representation of God. And Paul immediately highlights that Jesus is the image. He's not some side creation. He's a photograph. He's not the firstborn in time. He's the firstborn as he receives the highest honor because Paul's going to write that he is the one that created everything. So Paul is significantly challenging the church. And we have other passages in John 1 that reads very similarly to this. It says, no one has seen God but the one and only Son who, himself, who is, is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. What is he saying? He's saying the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his word. If you want to know what God is like, you have to look at Jesus. If you want to proclaim the power of God in your life, you're going to have to invoke his name a little bit. Because that's where the power is. Because they're one in the same. They're not two different people. And part of the challenge was that Jesus was, couldn't be God because the God of the Old Testament was a little warlike. And this God is very loving. 
So there has to, they have to be two different gods because the God, when I read the Old Testament, it's a little shaky on love. That's what, that was the argument. So Jesus must have been a created entity that God sent down to help us, a lesser God. And so what Paul is saying, no, 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 no. The same God of the Old Testament is Jesus and the same. There is no difference. And that's a little bit shocking. And then, what Paul is trying to impress on you and me, because we have the Bible now, it's complete. He's saying, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created humankind. Paul in Colossians is taking some of the people back to the book of Genesis to remind you that God made you in his image too. And he gave you responsibility to rule over creation, to be loving and kind in a community. God gave us responsibility in the garden to work, to labor, but to also live with the purpose when you have your job and it's a grind and, it's, and, it's, and you feel like your life is going nowhere, you're the image of God. You have a purpose. Because that's who you are. You're in His image. That's the difference. Jesus is the difference because He came down to reverse something that we cannot reverse. And that is reversing the curse of sin. We can't fix that. We, we need to be rescued. We can't fix ourselves. Jesus re reverses the curse of what happened in the Garden of Eden. So let's continue. My second point. When the two figures are in the Old Testament, it was, it was a radical uh, observation by the, by the Jewish rabbis. And a lot of time, we think of the Trinity, we go... Oh, the Trinity is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we say, well, show me a scripture. Where do you find that? And then we go to Genesis chapter 1. We'll see he said, let us make man in our image. There's a better passage than that to show you that Jesus and God and the Trinity are, are awesomely equal. And I'm going to show you that passage. Daniel is a prophet. He's a, he's a captive prophet. And God is giving him uh, visions and dreams. He's talking to angels, you know, Gabriel and Michael and all these guys. And God gives him a vision and, and takes him behind the curtain to look into heaven and to write down what he sees for your benefit. And this is what Daniel sees when he gets to sit in the room with everything there. You have the sons of God. You have all the ministering spirits. You have these thrones. And there is one throne there. There's many thrones. But there's a throne that someone sits on. It says, in my vision, at night, I looked, and there was before me one was, I'm sorry, and there was before me was one like a son of man. That's an Aramaic term. It translates into human being. There's someone in heaven that Daniel sees who looks like a human being. And it's, they call it the Son of Man. The Son of Man is also referred to Ezekiel because he's a human, Son of Man. And guess who would always refer to himself in the New Testament as the Son of Man? 
Jesus was always calling himself, will the Son of Man find faith on earth? Will the Son of Man... Well, it's all over the place. So there's a figure in heaven that looks human. And he's coming with the clouds of heaven. So he's riding on the clouds. And in Psalm 68, there's only one person who rides the clouds in heaven. And his name is Yahweh. But this guy's riding on the clouds. And when Caiaphas asked Jesus, he says, we're sick and tired of your answers. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? Are you Him? And he goes, next time you see me, I'll be riding on the clouds of heaven. And Caiaphas tears his robe. Because <sighs> Caiaphas knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He's saying, I'm God. I'm the visible Yahweh. Because there's an invisible one and there's a visible one. We always see the visible version. We never see the other version because the Bible calls him invisible. He's only invisible because we can't see him yet. But one day you will. But the other essence of God, we get to see. Someone who looks like a human coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, the other power, and was led into his presence. And he was given eternal rule of everything. I thought God ruled everything eternally. Well, apparently this son of man has the same equal power to rule everything too. And these were the two people, the two figures in heaven. The New Testament church understood this, this human figure who was born into creation as Jesus. The Gnostics think, no, he must be lesser. Paul's saying, no, he's equal. It's the same God. It, this is the Trinity, if you want to call it that. From Daniel, you begin to see the, from the very beginning that God's plan, the Son of Man, who made humans in his image would be born into creation that he made to rescue mankind in his image. This is why we need to center ourselves and understand when we see Jesus, we see God. And there was a figure in the Old Testament known as the Son of Man. That figure is Jesus. In Jude 6, it says, Yahweh led us out of the desert. He led us out of Egypt. And in the early Greek manuscripts, it's in a little footnote, it says, the Lord led you out of the desert. And the little thing on the bottom of the Bible, the little C on it, it says, Jesus. Jesus led us out of the desert? The physical representation of God led Israel out of the desert. It's been there the whole time. And when I read stuff like this, I get jacked up. Because I want, I want to know more. I want to understand more as, she, as you should. But our world doesn't like to look at these things. Our world wants to look at what we can see, feel, and touch. But there is a supernatural world. Things are working against you, and things are working for you. It's a war. It's a battle. That's why it's so important in our world today. Who rides the clouds? Sing to God. 
Seize him. Extol him. He who rides the cloud. Well, Jesus says he's going to ride the cloud. It's two equal in power. What are you saying, Gio? What I'm saying is Jesus always kept saying, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. What Son of Man? Daniel 7, Son of Man? Oh, yeah. When he comes in his glory, and with all the angels with him, he's talking like he's God. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. He will sit on his glorious throne. He's acting like God. This is crazy. All the nations will be gathered before him. Why only God does that? This is what Paul is having to combat in the early church. It plagues the church. If you're not grounded in your Bible, people will come to you with some weird teaching. When I was a baby Christian, my brother had me thinking that Jesus was a created being. Because I, I didn't know my Bible. And he asked me all kinds of weird questions. And I was, I was, I was, just, I was, just all, I was like, this can't be. And I just hung in there and kept reading and kept reading and kept reading and kept reading. I'm solidly now convinced, as I have been for the last 20 plus years, by looking into the Bible, seeing the equalness of Jesus and God. Not just believing it because of emotion, because my leader said so, but really looking into the Bible and going, this is true, and this is pretty awesome. Because the high priest wanted to know if Jesus, because you know, they, they were trying to throw stones at him. They were trying to kill him. You're saying you're God. They threatened his life many times because he kept saying that. Because the things he kept saying is saying, I'm equal to God. And they're like, no. Nope. And this is where Caiaphas and him have a little one-on-one. And Caiaphas knows his Bible too. And he goes, I'm going to be riding on the clouds of heaven. That's me in Daniel 7. And that just shook Caiaphas. Tore his robes. Killed this guy. End him. And we'll see. And he rose from the dead. Because the Son is the image of the invisible God. If you want to see God, just look at Jesus. Because he's our physical, visible Yahweh. My third point is Jesus is the creator. He makes things. In verse 16, for in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. Paul's making a point that all these little angels you think are going to take you to see the great God in heaven, he made those guys. He created them on the spiritual side and everything on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. He's talking about all these spiritual heavenly beings. All things have been created through him and for him. He is combating the Gnostic idea of getting to the final heaven via spiritual being. Paul makes it clear that the spiritual angels were created by Jesus himself, which puts him above. In Paul's mind, these celestial beings are all under the authority of Jesus. He made them. He challenges the notion that angels can save you. He challenges that notion. 
Because in their time, that was powerful. That was real. Everything was supernatural back then. Everything was. That's why Paul writes, when you go eat food and sacrifice to idol, be careful because you might be worshiping a demon. There's a reason why Paul writes that. Because I was oblivious. You might be worshiping a demon by accident. Don't do that. Supernatural world. We have science. We think life is boring. Oh, it's science. If you see a ghost, you're kind of weird. If you hear things, if you hear things from outside your body, you need to see a doctor. We, we, we quickly just shoot it away like, I woke up and I had this crazy dream. and this, Keep that to yourself. That's how we process and interpret things of supernatural. We're going, that's just for the TV show. There are things that are happening around us that from time to time we get glimpses of, but we just deny because that's just not our world. But that's their world. And their world is more based in truth than our world, to be honest. Our world likes to, likes to not even talk about these things. Let's not discuss it because it's so strange. What's the point? God is the, God is the only thing and only person that can create. And Paul is saying Jesus creates. He's directly challenging them. Out of all the Elohim, out of all of them in the spiritual world, he is the most high of all the creation of angels. He is the most high. And if any one of you wants to know God, you have to go through Jesus. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Because he is the head of every power and every authority. Jesus is the last and final Adam. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. He is the obedient Adam. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Because the Gnostic says, you can't be flesh and be God. He says everything about Jesus. He's full of deity in bodily form. They didn't even believe he resurrected. But that's why when we read in 1 John and 2 John and 3 John, he's having to tell you, whoever doesn't believe that Jesus resurrected, physically from the dead, cannot be saved. That's what he's fighting against. That's what Paul is attacking right now in its early stages. Because they started to believe that Jesus, you know, there's religions today, in our religion today, in our world, 21st century, that believe that Jesus did not physically resurrect from the dead. There are religions in our churches, in our, in our culture, in my family, that believe that Jesus is a created spiritual being inferior to God. In our 21st century culture, my, my family member tries to teach me that every year. And it's insane. And I share the scriptures, and he thinks that I am lost my mind. Some years he called me the devil in the flesh, and I'm saying I'm showing the same. I'm showing him the same passages I'm showing you. Nothing there. I got nothing for you. There are religions today. If you're not careful, teens. If you're not careful, you go off to college, and someone drops them some crazy. Crazy situation. You need to go back to your Bible and look at this stuff. 
My last point. He holds life together. If you find yourself feeling distant from God, far from God and alone and going, man, I am messed up. If you if have a family, you're going like, man, how do I even help my family? Because I can't even help myself. Don't you feel that? I mean, I felt that yesterday. Right? We feel things like, how can I hold things that you can't? No matter how hard you try to hold it together, it always, it's like, they're like wet noodles. It's like trying to grab pasta. It always slips out. And you always feel like you're going to be swallowed up. It's because you can't hold it together. But Jesus can hold it together. Amen. He holds all things together. He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He is the highest rank of the dead because he resurrected. So that in everything, he might have supremacy. Being held together. Paul says he he came before all things. He was never a creation. But yet he holds everything together. The Pharisees, they couldn't wrap their head around this. He's saying, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, the son of man. He saw it and was glad. And you're, you're not 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham? This is the Pharisees. He goes, I'll tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, and he quotes the very words only God says when he told Moses. When Moses asked him, what if the people ask your name? What do I say? He says, you tell them I am sent you. And Jesus goes, before Abraham was born, he goes, I am. And they try to pick up stones and kill him. We can allow Jesus to hold our life together because he is the living one. He was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is in complete control. He has no rivals. When we seek Jesus, we can put our trust in him. He can hold us together. He can hold your family together. He can hold your faith together. He can hold the church together. Are you falling apart spiritually? Do you feel like you're drifting away from the word of God? Jesus can hold you together. If your life's out of control and reckless and you're hurting people and you're hurting yourself, Right now, Jesus is holding the Thurston family together because their son, Jacob, passed away. 18 years old. You're going to need Jesus to hold you together in a time of tragedy. 
Disciple, 21 years old and from Tennessee State, part of the Nashville church, jumped off a cliff into the water and drowned two days ago. They're so young. But their family's going to need Jesus to hold them together. Maybe you've been giving God your leftovers. Maybe you've been giving God the bare minimum. Maybe you've gotten away from the basics. Maybe you're making excuses as to why you don't pursue Jesus with more more heart. I want to encourage you. It just takes a little bit of effort to awaken the relationship you have with Jesus. It doesn't take much to awaken him. It's like you're like a beacon. When you lift your eyes to heaven, he leans in. When you're weak and prideful and hurting and mad, he leans in. He likes when we're weak because he knows that's what we are. He made us. He knows. But we try to act all strong all the time and powerful. We do it all. Try to act like, I got it together. I got it together. It's okay to say, I don't have it all together. It's okay to say that. I don't have it all together. I know it looks like I have it, but it's really a nice little show. I don't have it all together. We can say that. And here in Shoreline, we need to be a little more honest about that. It's better that way. We have better fellowship when we're going, man, I don't have it together either. It's fellowship so much better when it's like that versus all trying to go, yeah, things are going great. Things are going good. Don't, please don't ask questions. Those are crap. Those are crap. Those are crap. Let's just admit that we need Jesus to hold us together. Not on Sunday, but I'm starting like tomorrow. I'm talking like tonight. Like every day. Because when Jesus said to come to me and I'll give you rest, he didn't say rest like, he didn't mean that like, oh, I'm going I'm to sit on the couch and I'm just going to come by and give you some fresh water. Give you rest. Rest. When I read the passage, I just think, oh, rest. I'm just going to feel relaxed. No, no, that's not what he's saying. When God made the creation of the last day, you know what God, what God did? God rested. Does God need, need to rest? Does an all-powerful being in heaven have to go, I'm so exhausted. I need to rest. Just can't take. What, what that means is everything's in order and stable. When Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest, I'll give you stability. I'll give you balance. I'll give you order. I'll make sense of your life. That's what he means when he says, come to me. I'll give you rest. You're, you're out of control I'll bring you back in control. You're unstable, I'll get you stable. That's what he's saying. And that's my appeal to you, is let us seek the face of Jesus, the Son of Man in Daniel 7, who entered creation and saved us from our sins. With that, let's pray together and we'll close out. God in heaven, we're just thankful for you. We're in awe of you.